All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the uh, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and I'll bring in the other panelists in just a minute. Uh, so for today, we have uh, Dan Bunting with us. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Good, good to see you. And Justin Dobb back from another country. How are you, Justin? I'm doing well. Thank God. Good, good to have you back. Um, so today we're going to keep going in our discussion in Mark. Uh, I've really been enjoying going through Mark and we got through the first part of Mark chapter seven, where Jesus has this, um, this really powerful teaching, uh, about kind of watching our hearts and the things that come out of our hearts or what defile us. And so we need to make sure that what's coming out of us is pure before what's going into us, uh, which the Pharisees seem to have that have that kind of uh, backwards in their line of thinking. Uh, but Mark goes on from there to some other different stories, uh, a couple of healings and different things that Jesus does. And each of them have kind of, uh, the last two stories in Mark 7 have kind of strange details um, that are within the story. So I don't know, you guys want to read the, the first one uh, when he goes to, uh, to Tyre? Yeah, I can do that. So Mark chapter 7, I'll start in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came down and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out uh, the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. All right. Um, so kind of interesting. He uh, he leaves the area that he was in where he just had his interaction with the Pharisees uh, and he goes out of where he normally spent his time. He was normally in kind of the region of Galilee uh, near the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes he'd go down to Jerusalem and spend some time in that area as well uh, in southern Judea. Um, but now he goes much further north and kind of northwest of Galilee uh, to the, the land where Tyre is, Sidon, that's kind of modern day Syria, uh, up at the very tip top northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. And he spends some time uh, out there, um, but it says that he's kind of trying to keep a low profile um, while he's there, which is kind of interesting. In verse 24, he enters a house and he did not want anyone to know uh, but he could not be hidden. Um, his, his fame even has extended into the Gentile regions. And this woman in particular comes to him. Um, and uh, it's interesting, Mark kind of really uh, digs into the fact that she is, she's a foreigner. She's, she's not a Jew. She's a, a Gentile by birth, a Syrophoenician. Um, she doesn't have any kind of Jewish interactions or relations at all with her but she comes to Jesus anyway and begs that she will heal or that he will heal her daughter who has this this demon this unclean spirit and what's Jesus's response to that kind of curious it is curious right he he turns her he turns her down and as he turns her down he says words that make it sound worse <laughs> than just simply saying no he says let the children be fed first. It's not right to give the children's bread and throw it to dogs, which 
does that mean he's calling this lady a dog? I mean, just the whole context here is complicated. Um, the word translated dog here is is really it's like adding the uh, it it takes the regular Greek word dog and adds the little uh, the concept of little to it. So it's little dog. Um, you know, so maybe in, in in English it could be translated. You, you don't take the children's food and throw it to the pups, uh, not the mongrel, <laughs> not the alley dog. Uh, he, he's not calling her something like that, but he is saying no uh, and giving an interesting reason in it. Yeah, and like we kind of understand at least the concept of what Jesus is talking about. Like you wouldn't take food from your own children and use that food to feed your dog while your children have nothing, right? The, the children need their food first, then you feed the dog. And we, we get that. Um, we understand that kind of process. But within the context here, it's kind of interesting. Why, why is Jesus, why does he say that the children need to be fed first before the dogs and seemingly kind of refusing this woman's request, at least at first? Jesus, as you said, he's been spending most of his time uh, with, with Israelites, with the Jews, um, and he, he came, he, he told his disciples not to go to uh, any of the Gentile towns, to only go to towns that belong to Israel. Um, he has his work first with uh, God's chosen people. Um, but, I mean, as, as you continue to read the New Testament, the plan is that as uh, Jesus comes as a savior, a Messiah to the Jews, then the rest of the world will benefit from that. So, uh, in a sense, this is He's kind of laying out the, the gospel plan uh, in a way that at first seems insulting, um, but later helps us to appreciate, I think, her humility. So he's really inviting her to appreciate uh, the Gentiles' place uh, in, in the, the plan that God has provided for salvation. Yeah, yeah. So he's just, Jesus is following the plan of the Father. It was the plan of the Father that first the Jews would be offered salvation and then the Gentiles. And God gets to decide that. It's his plan of salvation. He can give it in whatever order that he that he chooses to do that. But there are various different scriptures where you can find that. I really like um, Romans chapter nine, when Paul kind of discusses that a little bit to kind of illustrate the point of the advantages that the Jews had in, in coming to Jesus and salvation. In Romans nine in verse four, it says, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever. Amen. So, I mean, there are all kinds of advantages that the Jews had and that's how God intended it. That's how he planned it. They were his chosen people, his race, uh, the, the ones through whom the Christ came, Paul says in Romans nine, verse five. Um, and so those are the children. They get to kind of reap the benefits of the Messiah first but later on, the Gentiles will be able to, but Jesus is saying, it's not that time yet. We're not at that point in time when they get to really kind of fully come in and reap the benefits. But that leads to the interesting kind of response of the woman, like Justin hinted at, and really kind of Jesus seems like he's prepping her to be humbled, uh, even though she seems like a very humble woman anyway, because mm -hmm. like, if you hear that, you have your daughter that's in need, you know, there's this guy here in town that can save her, that can help her. And he says, you're just a dog. It's not time yet. You know, how do you feel <laughs> kind of that mode? The children need to be fed first, not the dogs, man. I would be maybe frustrated, upset, distraught, but this woman's response is really, really um, impressive. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. that it, she kind of 
she, she not only seems to get what Jesus is saying, but then she kind of takes it a step further <laughs> than where he was at. Um, you know, Jesus is basically saying, you're the dog that doesn't get preference here. And she says, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few interesting things about that to me. I'll, I'll, I'll say one of them, if you guys have something else that you want to point out. One of the interesting things is that just illustrates her faith. Because how she words that, she's just saying, yes, but even just a small piece, a tiny crumb of your power is all that my daughter needs. <laughs> like, like I, I don't need the full meal right now. I just need a tiny crumb. And that shows the amount of faith and trust that she had in Jesus's ability and power. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, what, what else do you guys see in, in her response? Well, one thing I think is, interesting that I hadn't thought of this until something about what you were just saying was that okay you said that uh, Jesus gives her a statement and then she takes it to that next step and that's usually what Jesus does with somebody somebody says um, a, a normal answer and Jesus has this um, uh, this spiritual answer that is a step or two above or step or two farther down the road so in that sense uh, when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman always responds to what's right there in front of her and what Jesus says. And Jesus's responses to her keep pushing the direction towards spiritual things, taking it farther down the path towards um, a spiritual conclusion. This lady is is doing the opposite. She hears what Jesus says and responds with yes, but here is a spiritual truth uh, that 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 as you're saying, Justin. Or Jonathan, even this small amount is all I need. I don't need the full meal. I can have the crumb. And it, it I don't know if, I don't want to say she's the opposite of the Samaritan woman, but she is the active force in, in, moving, in moving the conversation towards spiritual things. And that's not what we usually see in, in, in conversations with Jesus. It's usually Jesus who's moving them forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something to hear about, um, I don't, know if if i appreciate this fully um this isn't a respect that she has for the jewish messiah i don't think um at at this point in time the jews are really nothing impressive Uh, they've been beaten down by the romans Uh, the romans are the world power to contend with Um, but she's looking around and she sees no answers no hope no help Uh, but then this man comes along and he's doing wondrous, compassionate, powerful things. And I, I can only imagine that she has tried to understand something about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So what's so attractive about this, uh, I think, is that she has understood something about the person of Jesus. I don't know mm-hmm. if she gets prophecy. You know, I don't, I don't know if she understood all that we've been talking about this plan uh, but she just knows that she needs Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's really the message of Mark, right? Is Mark has been trying to get us to appreciate how amazing Jesus is. And she's not going to quit until she gets his attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of people like that who read something about Jesus, know something about his compassion, his power. They don't know all the prophecies. They don't know all of what scripture says about what Jesus has accomplished but they see in the person of Jesus, when you just pick up the gospels and read about what he did, uh, he's an incredibly attractive power. Uh, and I, I think that's what Mark's trying to get us to see is this woman on the outside uh, sees this carpenter uh, traveling around with a bunch of, I don't know, scruffy looking guys and says, I need what he's got. 
mm-hmm. uh, and there's nobody else who can help me. I, I need what he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not only does she start to understand and seem to look deeper into the person of Jesus and who Jesus is, but she seems to have a really good understanding of who she is in comparison to Jesus as well, which is, which is vital uh, in this mm-hmm. kind of interaction because Jesus goes on to say, for this statement, because of what you said, I'll give you what you want. <laughs> um, and I like to kind of imagine, what if she had responded differently than she did? Like, what if Jesus said, that, let the children first be fed and, and then the dogs? And she said, what are you talking about? I'm not a dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like, like uh, that's offensive. You're insulting me. Like, my, my daughter needs you. What are you, what are you thinking? Jesus would not have said, oh, for that statement, your daughter's, <laughs> you know, she, she had to understand that her position in Jesus, she was not in a position to demand anything. Um, and she did, and she, and she illustrated that in her words. And likewise, we also, I think how we kind of fit into the story, at least probably most people that are listening to this podcast, um, we're, we're the Gentiles, <laughs> you know, which, which kind of adds a different flavor to this story. Uh, you know, we're, we're in that same category of the, of the dogs. Now the time has come where Christ has been offered to all people in all of the world. So we're welcomed in, but we still have to have that same level of humility uh, when approaching Christ and asking him for salvation and help. Um, I, I think about later on in the gospels in Luke 17, when Jesus says in Luke 17 and verse 10, uh, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Um, that's a really powerful and important attitude to have that, you know what, no matter what I bring to the table, I'm still just a servant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still just a dog, <laughs> but the Lord is gracious enough to feed me with what I need. Um, and, and I just need to beg <laughs> for that. And, and it's all his doing his grace. Uh, and this woman really understood that Jesus notices that and gives her something that it looks like he wasn't really giving to everyone in that, in that area. Um, because of her humility and her willingness to trust him in faith. Really cool. Uh, Justin, you had your hand up. Yeah, there's this, um, there's, there's a book C.S. Lewis wrote called uh, The Great Divorce, which is not about what you might think it's about by the title, uh, but it's this imagined uh, meeting of souls who are on the plains of heaven uh, about to enter in, um, and they get a choice. Do they go into heaven or do they not? Uh, and, and it's not a real theological uh, reality, but it's an interesting thought exercise. And, and one of the spirits um, is, is saying, look, I'm not asking for anything. I just want my rights. And the spirit who's come down from heaven to meet him is saying, look, that's, that's not the way it works here. You know, you, you don't ask for your rights. And the, mm-hmm. the guy says, look, I'm not asking for any bleeding charity. Uh, and the spirit from heaven says, then do ask for the bleeding charity. Uh, when, when we come to God, you know, demanding our rights, it just doesn't, you know, the, the prospects don't look very hopeful. Uh, and I think that's what this woman realizes is uh, she has no rights. And, and sometimes, I appreciate you saying we're all the Gentiles. I think in my, in my upbringing, in my estimation, I tend to think of myself more as like a Jew. You know, I've been taught the gospel from as long as I can remember, I, I know the Bible. I try to do what's right. I, I you know, I fast twice. So I don't fast twice a week, but you know, you get the idea. Um, that doesn't make me any more appealing to God. That doesn't give me uh, a, a place where I can make demands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we better respond with humility because of who he is. And I think we need to appreciate this woman's 
uh, stance and, and hopefully it will become our own default position before God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we'll see later on, actually in chapter eight, a group of people do come and start making demands of Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, <laughs> but this woman who's not making demands gets what she's looking for. Yeah. There's a powerful intersection between faith and humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, one can't really exist without the other. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about in that story? All right. So there's another weird story at the end of uh, chapter seven, strange thing that kind of happens here. Uh, so in verse 31, it says, then he returned from the region of Tyre and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And after taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up from to heaven, he uh, sighed and said to him, Apaphatha, there you go, that's a hard word, um, that is be opened. And, um, and his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were all astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well, and he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right, so he um, leaves that area and goes back to uh, another area on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, where he had been to before, kind of briefly, um, visits this this region of the Decapolis again. And uh, this time, they bring a deaf and mute man. Um, And maybe he's not totally mute, but the text says he has like a speech impediment, can't speak well. Um, and, and he's deaf, and they're begging Jesus to heal this man again. So really similar kind of story, um, begging Jesus to heal. Um, and what does Jesus do in this story? Well, he, he heals him. We, th- there aren't many times when he gives instructions to uh, the disease or the, the medical problem, which is interesting. He commands the, the winds and the waves, or he commands the uh, the demons, and here he speaks a word um, to to heal the person, um, to be opened. And I think it's interesting. A lot of the miracles of healing, the stress is that people are made whole or complete. Uh, here, with the speech impediment and with the inability to hear, he is he's fully human, but in the sense of being able to com- comprehend and to understand and to speak his own will, he is not whole. He is an, he's not complete. And so often that's the point that the miracles stress is that Jesus can make us whole. Uh, but in this one, it's to be opened. Um, and maybe that's the stress he can hear and he uh, that opening up the ears and opening up the voice, opening up this man to be to receive and to speak back. I think that that's a neat idea there. Um, but clearly I'm dodging the weird part about how Jesus uses his spitting process to get it to happen which I have no, no answers and no ideas for, other than when I study with people, I, I just try to very openly admit that's weird and I don't know why Jesus does it. Which is, which is great. I mean, honestly, when we're talking with people we're studying the Bible with and we don't have good answers, uh, we just need to make sure we're sitting in the student's seat <laughs> and not pretend like we are the know-it-all teachers when obviously we don't. Uh, well, one, one thought here, uh, I, I like how Jesus takes him away from the crowd. I don't know why he does that, except again, Jesus is not trying to 
make a show of this. It's very much the opposite of what we see people doing today who claim to be able to do miracles. They're trying to gather a crowd and they're getting people to pay for tickets. Uh, but I see a sense of compassion. If you can imagine not having been able to hear and then suddenly you're overwhelmed with the noise of the crowd. Uh, Jesus pulls this man away, has mm -hmm. a private moment with him. And the best I can tell is he's trying to explain to him using signs, you know, here's what I'm about to do to you, um, which, which is part of this statement, he has done all things well. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus doesn't just heal, he doesn't just restore and make whole, is he communicates what he's doing to us so that we can understand. Um, I had mm -hmm. an interesting conversation this past, I think it was a week ago, um, with a, a Muslim, and he was asking if I had read the Quran, and I said, you know, I've read I've read a lot of it. And he said, have you read it in Arabic? And I said, no, I've not read it in Arabic, um, but, but my God made my mouth and he can speak to me in the language he chooses so that I can understand. And the Muslim kind of went, oh, okay. Because <laughs> there's this idea that you can't understand uh, the Quran unless you understand it in the original mm -hmm. language. Um, mm -hmm. but, but God can communicate to us in whatever way he chooses. And so Jesus isn't limited by our limitations he's not limited by this man's physical limitations he's able to hear him and communicate compassion and healing uh, and i think that is as impressive at least to me as the actual healing uh, he gets down on this guy's level uh, and and explains to him what's going to go on mm -hmm. yeah and so um that that's the response that the people end up having um, that Jesus is doing this, he's doing all things well. He even makes the deaf people hear the mute speak. Um, but in between all of that, it's kind of interesting. We have another moment here in Mark. This isn't the first time it's shown up in Mark, but another moment where Jesus, after healing or doing something for someone, tells them to be quiet about it. Um, don't, don't tell anyone about it. And um, every time that Jesus will do that, what happens? <laughs> they tell yeah, it says uh, here, the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it um, in verse 36. Again, I, I think Jesus has this timetable um, that he's on. He has different things that he's needing to do on the Lord's time, um, accomplishing the Father's will. And uh, it would be impossible and difficult for him to be able to accomplish those things, being swarmed by crowds all the time, constantly having to, to you know, help people in these various different ways, not being able to fulfill his mission. But still, um, no matter how, uh, how much Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone, they continue to spread the news. Uh, mm -hmm. And Jesus eventually needs to, uh, to leave again um, as a result um, of, the, of the crowds. Um, but before he does that, he is compassionate again in, uh, in Mark chapter 8. And there's a really similar story in Mark chapter 8 to what we read in Mark chapter 6. But before we get there, do you guys have anything else you want to say about Mark 7? Yeah. I, I, I did get a comment here. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, as someone said, just a thought for the weird way Jesus healed the man. I think it's possibly related to the same reason Naaman didn't get to experience some grand healing process. Are there not cleaner rivers? Are there not uh, cleaner ways to heal the guy's eyes? Well, it's not supposed to be grand. It's simple and crude in appearance. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. What I was going to say, and this might 
connect well to that. I don't know if the people heard about the method Jesus used. You know, did everyone hear about the spit, <laughs> this crude or this very earthy, uh, not showy method? But I like how everyone just says he has done all things well. This is this is what people think about Jesus. We can talk about how they wanted to murder him and how people were chasing him down, and and there were people who rejected him. But it seems like um, the initial emotional response that people have to Jesus is that he's good, he's doing all things well, um, even odd uh, healing methods uh, it, it are included in this. Jesus is doing all things well. Then it seems like as they reflect, what does that mean for me in my life? Maybe that's where people have a hard time. Well, if I have to change, now I'm going to change my opinion about Jesus. But when they see what Jesus does, when they see the effect Jesus has on the world, making people whole, opening people up, um, the reaction is that Jesus is doing things well. All right. Um, So. Uh, he does that for this for uh, for this man here in this region, and uh, I think still in that region, crowds are starting to gather around him. And so we get to chapter eight, and in Mark chapter eight and verse one, it says, "In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have uh, compassion on the crowd because they have been now with me for three days and have had nothing to eat.'" And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from, afar, from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he, uh, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Daumenhua. Okay, um, so uh, really similar story to in chapter 6. But a curious kind of detail, because this is the second time that Jesus has done this. Um, Whenever the crowds are growing, again, you see pictures of Jesus's compassion, um, uh, that they don't have anything to eat. They're there with him. They need some food, um, which shows some cool things and encouraging things about the crowd themselves, um, how Mm -hmm. desperately that they want to be with Jesus and, and spend time with Jesus. Jesus says, They've been here for three days without food. Um, And it just made kind of a simple application to um, maybe 21st century American Christians. Um, Sometimes we can't go for two hours, um, you know, listening to Jesus before we're worried about getting some food. Uh, You know, you start typically around 9 a.m. on Sunday morning and uh, end around 11, 12 uh, Sunday afternoon, and man, I'm ready to go out and get some food, <laughs> ready to stop. Um, these people really want to be with Jesus, um, so much so that they're willing to deny themselves, I think, the opportunity to eat, and Jesus provides um, when those people are there with them, which is that's maybe a cool kind of side point to see in this, but um, as he starts having compassion on them, 
And uh, he says to his disciples, you know, I don't want to send them, send them away. Some of them might faint along the way. They come from a long way. They haven't eaten for a long time. Um, you get the disciples' response. And what's the disciples' answer to Jesus about wanting to feed all these people? How on earth? Yeah. Does that seem a little strange? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like did you guys watch the the rerun like you need to go back and review this uh jesus just did in some ways a more impressive miracle uh just a couple of chapters ago uh so they're asking a question that they should know the answer the, the funny thing is jesus does not rebuke them mm -hmm. he doesn't look at them and go come on guys really uh he just tells them look here's here's the plan here's what we're gonna do and he does it feeds them their leftovers and everybody goes away satisfied uh yeah. jesus is really patient with these guys yeah yeah and he ends up later on in the chapter really calling them to the carpet for this um, yes. but yeah in in the moment it, it's kind of like i don't know i like to maybe kind of imagine jesus's facial expression like i, I kind of see him like seriously <laughs> did you did you forget um, but it doesn't look like he does that he's just very patient and says okay bring me what you do have we'll, we'll do this we'll do this again in case you missed it the first time bring me the little bit that you have I'll multiply it, we'll eat, we'll have excess, and maybe you'll get it then. And he just kind of leaves it, leaves it at that. But again, no less impressive than what he did the first time. He's able to take the little of the people and turn it into much, um, just like he did in chapter six. And everyone is provided for, everyone eats and is full, and there's so much left over. Um, and uh, in the first time, what, there are 12 baskets left over. And this time, there are seven baskets uh, left over um so almost an exact replica of what he did in chapter six then he dismisses the crowds and the disciples leave and they they head back to um the other side of the sea again um so do you guys have anything you want to say about that story just a small point um not necessarily vital or important but we see it in both of the miracles is that he takes the food and he prays for it or prays about it or prays over it you can choose whatever uh, preposition you want in there and then he he passes it out and um, so many of us have the habit of you know praying for a breakfast and lunch and dinner and when you do it three times a day 365 days a year it's hard to keep those prayers um, uh, keep everyone honest and sincere because sometimes uh, you, you're busy um, but it's it's something that we see Jesus do there's it's not a command, but it's such a simple example that we see him taking the things that he gets from God, gets from his friends, and it truly is a gift from God, thanks God, and prays about that, and then starts to hand it out. I think it's just a really small example, but looking for those simple and small examples can really help us to uh, nourish our, 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 uh, our spirituality. Very good point. One thing here, um, as you said, is, is a almost a duplicate of what we saw in chapter six. I, I think there's an interesting distinction. Um, again, there's, there's more food to start with, nowhere near the amount of food you need. There are fewer people to feed, um, but still it's, it's a miracle. And then fewer um, leftovers. So again, it, it's almost like a less impressive miracle, but it's still absolutely miraculous. Um, the other thing here is that in the first feeding of the thousands in chapter six jesus tests the disciples and, and he says you know you give them something to eat um 
and uh, as in chapter six, verse thirty-seven, uh, and and they just they don't know what to do. Here, he seems to take a different approach, where he doesn't ask them what to do or tell them what to do. He just leads them through it. Um, again, I, I think I see the compassion of Jesus as a teacher. Um, it's sort of like when you you tell your children to do a chore, assuming that they know how to do it, and then come to find out they have no clue <laughs> how, how to you know wash the dishes or vacuum or you know clean the toilet or whatever. Um, next time, you don't just tell them to do it again you step in there with them and you show them how to wash and dry and vacuum and you know use the brush and everything you just you you walk them through it um and i think i see jesus doing that here with the disciples again he's compassionate mm -hmm. he's patient um for all his power and his um just the, the miraculous work that's pulsing through him he's not he's not left his disciples behind you know, he's, he's not here just to feed thousands of people and to make the deaf hear and the blind see. He's here to make disciples. And so he doesn't leave his disciples behind in this moment. He's trying to get them to understand something about who he is. Hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, these, these next few stories, I think will all be kind of connected. Uh, you've got this, this second feeding, the feeding of the 4,000 that happens in Mark chapter 8. There'll be a small interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees in the next portion. And then Jesus's kind of interaction with his disciples after both of those events. And, and he'll kind of call back to, I think, both of those events um in, in the last story so i'm just going to read verse 11 through 21 because i think this all kind of fits together yeah um so verse 11 says the pharisees came to him and began to argue with him seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him and he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said why does this generation seek a sign truly i say to you no sign will be given to this generation and he left them got into the boat again and went to the other side and now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you do not have bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him 12 and then uh and the seven for the four thousand how many baskets uh full uh, of broken pieces did you take up and they said to him seven and he said to them do you not yet understand um so we got this first story jesus comes to this particular side of the sea of galilee and the pharisees come and they start arguing with him making demands, seeking a sign for him, trying to test him, the typical approach that the Pharisees will often have with him um, when they're not rebuking him, they're trying to catch him in something or test him or demand a, uh, mm -hmm. a sign um, from, uh, to prove who he is or just tell them plainly if he's the Christ or, or different things like that. And um, how does Jesus respond to their demands? Uh. I don't want to sound rude, but it reminds me of how he tried to shut down the Syrophoenician woman. She comes up and asks for something, and he says no, essentially, to her. Um, they come up to him and ask for something, and he says, man, everyone's looking for these signs. You're not going to get a sign. 
and and he essentially says no as well. And until today, I had never noticed how how similar those can be. Maybe it's her reaction after that compared to their reaction after that that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you too. Think... There's a oh sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Justin. Do you think too that there's a um, a connection to the earlier story with the deaf man? I'm just noticing this sighing happening here in, in 734. Uh, he looked up to heaven and sighed. Uh, and then here he's sighing deeply in his spirit. It's mm-hmm. almost like Jesus is expressing his his frustration. Um, you know, you, you keep looking for signs, which is interesting. Obviously, he wants to heal the deaf man, but it, it's as though there's more behind it than just healing the deaf man. The people aren't really trusting in his power. They're not getting the point. They don't understand what this means about who Jesus is. And then here are these Pharisees. Um, and they just, I mean, how many miracles is it going to take before they just give in and accept that Jesus is the Messiah? Dan? I hadn't noticed that he sighed in both of those stories. So I don't, I don't know what to do with, with that. But I do think that, that all of these are absolutely building on themselves, mm-hmm. uh, building together to get to this discussion that he has with his disciples when he just tears them apart because they did, they're arguing about bread and they're, they're missing the point. And uh, so I, I do think that they build, I don't know how the sighing, that's a really great connection. And I haven't, I don't have an answer to that connection yet, but 11, 12 and 13 is the smallest part of the chapter seven and eight stories. But I think it's a really significant part. Uh, the the I think you mentioned the disappointment, uh, and that's a key word I think here um, that Jesus would have felt frustrated, annoyed, disappointed, uh, maybe angry, uh, maybe uh, here I am the the strongest, most powerful person on earth, and I'm impotent to actually make a difference with some people. Um, I'm 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 powerless to affect these people. Because at the face of what Jesus says to these Pharisees, when he says no sign will be given to this generation, at face value, that statement isn't true because he keeps on doing miracles and he's going to be raised from the dead, which is his ultimate sign. And in another similar discussion, that's the sign of Jonah. So he's not lying. He's just saying this truth, this concept, no sign is going to be given to this generation. I think it's because this generation won't look at any sign or something like that. And I think it really expresses just how frustrated he is, which I think is important to remember when we get into the next conversation, that Jesus enters this conversation really um, tired by uh, the foolishness of people. And this question, why does this generation seek a sign, is a, I think it's an honest question. You know, why do you want to know? Because yeah. if you get a sign and you get an indisputable fact you're going to ignore it you're going to refuse the evidence um uh, maybe you study with people like that people come and they ask questions and it's like well before i answer your question why do you want to know Mm -hmm. uh i I understand i'm the fourth person you've asked uh Mm -hmm. advice from and you've got this spiritual dilemma in your life and i'm i'm you know long in the chain of people you're just looking for somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear and jesus is not going to play that game with us is actually not good for us and our faith 
um, for God to play that kind of game with us. We, we've got to, again, humble ourselves just like the yeah. Syrophoenician woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Jesus leaves uh, from that conversation, goes with his disciples, and Mark gives the note in verse 14 that the disciples forgot to bring bread. They only have one piece of bread with them on the boat, and so that's kind of on their mind um, while they're thinking about that. And Jesus um, takes the opportunity to try to teach them something in verse 15. He says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Um, so we'll maybe talk about that, what that means in, in just a minute, what Jesus is getting at. But how did the disciples understand what Jesus is talking about? Oh, man, we forgot the bread. <laughs> yeah. Did somebody tell them that we only have one piece of bread? <laughs> like, like, you know, I could see them kind of elbowing one another and smacking each other. Like, hey, who, who, who let them know? Who, who told them? They're, they're really focused on this physical bread um, kind of thing that's been going on. And so Jesus, you know, knows that what's going on in their hearts um, and, and aware of what's going on. Uh, he says, why are you talking about physical bread? <laughs> um, you know, can't you see? Can't you hear? Don't you understand? H- have you not been paying attention for the last two chapters? <laughs> you know, um, let's just recap. When I fed the 5,000 people, how much was left over? And they said 12 baskets. Okay. Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you right there. Okay, you have to pronounce those answer that as if you were a 17 year old boy talking to his mom a good preacher i know pointed this out to me and we need to pronounce these verses answering jesus as teenagers and they said to him 12 as they look down at their feet and shuffle their feet what about the seven thousand and the four thousand the bass how many baskets you take up in verse 20 seven i think that's a really vital pronunciation piece because it it's it's realistic and i'm not making fun of you i'm I'm, I'm just throwing this in yeah 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 and jesus ends it by saying don't you get it (laughs) um now at now at first reading man um you know i've I've studied this with with someone before that is not familiar with this story the first time that they ever read it and they they read verse 21 and they looked up and said I don't get it. <laughs> um, so Jesus is still maybe even not super direct here, a little bit cryptic in what he's saying, but he's clearly, you know, upset with the disciples not getting it. So, so what do the disciples not get? What's Jesus trying to get them to see? Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. If you go back to verse 6 and verse uh, 52, it says there that they did not understand. Uh, this is Jesus walking on the water. He had just fed the 5,000. And it's, it's fascinating to me the way Mark words this. In uh, Mark 6, 51, he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. So they have this uh, sort of um, physical, uh, immediate, automatic response to the miracle. But then it says, verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves. Well, he just walked on water. What does that have to do with the bread? Mm-hmm. Um, they are utterly astounded for they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They're surprised at the power of Jesus because they haven't pieced together who he is yet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing here is uh, they don't trust Jesus, nor can they imagine Jesus to provide for them as they go with him in this journey because they don't understand who he is. So there's still kind of this, this hardness of heart um, where they've they've seen the miracles they've seen the power they've seen all the signs 
but they haven't let those things penetrate their hearts so that they now know Jesus. And frankly, I think that's where a lot of us are sometimes is, you know, we're followers of Jesus, we're disciples of Jesus, just like these guys are. And then we worry about all sorts of things. Uh, we become overwhelmed with thinking that we've got to control our lives, our situations, and we become come just kind of unstrung. Um, and it's like we haven't pieced it together. Don't we understand? Um, and it's not about understanding that Jesus fed the 5,000 or knowing that Jesus can feed the 4,000. It's getting to that next step is what does that say about who Jesus is? What does that say about what he can do for us? It's moving from that he fed the 4,000. If he fed the 4,000, you need to complete the sentence. Uh, we need to meditate on that. We need to, what are the phrases? Live in the moment. Um, think about where you are. Get connected to your environment and your experience. You know, it's it's putting in that extra effort to take a Bible reading or a Bible story and put it into every cell of our body as we look around us. Yeah, yeah. and so at this point, the disciples just aren't seeing really clearly who Jesus is. Um, they maybe have little bits and pieces, little ideas, but they, they haven't put it all together yet. And they're still concerned with all kinds of things totally unrelated to their mission and, and what Jesus is trying to teach them and reveal to them about, about his purpose and what their purpose uh, is going to be. And I think we don't have time to do this, but I think that that concept leads perfectly into the next story too, of, of not seeing clearly and how we should see clearly, because um, another really interesting miracle <laughs> happens happens again in uh, in the next story uh, in verse twenty two and following. But um, that's all the time that we have. Uh, we can't go into that story. So next time we'll pick up with verse twenty two and probably recap some of this stuff because I think it does does relate. Do you guys have any final things you want to say through verse twenty one before we wrap up? No, I'm all done. It's everything I know. <laughs> there you go all right well thank you guys for your discussion through that thank you to our audience for tuning in with us today uh, like we said at the beginning if you have any questions or thoughts about what we discussed today or any other questions that you'd like us to discuss on our show you can visit our website at biblequest.tv and you can ask your comments or your questions there and we'll be looking forward to doing those in our future shows that's all that we have for this week and so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week next week lord willing <laughs>